0: Hello, and welcome to Roots Radio, a podcast about living with ALS. We are your hosts, Lenny and Jesse. Lenny was diagnosed with ALS in 2019. Jesse, myself, I'm a social worker at the ALS Association, Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Together, we take a deep dive into the lives of those incredible individuals living with ALS, as well as those in the community advocating for those families who've been touched by ALS in some way. Roots Radio was inspired by Lenny's desire to help others who are living with ALS like he is. Out of his desire, Roots Radio was born. The inspiration for our title, Roots Radio, draws meaning from the belief that the roots of who we are in this world is and always will be a part of who we are, especially in the face of ALS. The roots of our experiences in the world, the companionship we seek, the love we feel, and the reflection of what we have meant to others, these are the roots that will continue to nourish our community, despite the ever-changing nature of ALS. To quote one of our good friends, Hayao Mullins, Mm -hmm. ALS is a club that we never wanted to be a part of, but thank God there is a club. So welcome everybody to episode 10 with Todd. Um, So we have a very special episode of Roots Radio today. Um, To mark our 10th episode, we have a special guest on our show who we can't wait for you to get to know. Our guest, Todd, has been living with ALS for over 10 years. He's a retired public school teacher who taught high school English, drama, and directed theater for over 30 years. His passion for theater, his students, and his education is palpable. When faced with a diagnosis of ALS, Todd chose to continue pursuing advocacy and education for students of a different schooling, ALS. Todd has been using his own experience of living with ALS to help many nonprofits, research organizations, and ALS communities advance their knowledge and lived experience of ALS. Todd is married to his wife, Laura, and has three children who he adores, Justin, Brett,
1: and Sabrina. Hey, thanks, Jesse. This is Letty. And welcome, everybody. Yes, we've got the, hopefully, what's going to turn out to be a real good show with Todd. And uh, interestingly enough, I it was somewhat fortuitous how I met Todd. I met Todd through his wife, Lori. And it turns out that uh, Lori is by my hospice nurse. And it's been now several months, I believe. And our relationship is sort of, well not sort of, but has transcended the, the you know the relationship with the patient and caregiver and so forth. And we've developed a friendship and along the way we talk and share. And she informs me that her husband, Todd, has ALS. And so of course, we start talking more about that. And she uh, Lori ended up sharing with me some of the uh advocacy, the volunteer work that Todd does. On behalf of the als communities which we'll talk more about today and i thought it would be a, a very interesting podcast to have todd join us and ran up by jesse she was in agreement so here we are today with todd so todd welcome to our 10th podcast we appreciate your time here pal
2: i'm happy to be here it's nice to be with you and jesse
1: yeah that's great that's great and uh uh i have yet to really meet Todd face-to-face other through through uh, through Zoom. But I understand through his wife that Todd is a great husband, great father, provider. and really has a passion for what he's doing uh, with the ALS community. And uh, one of the things that Todd shared with us when we did our pre-podcast, uh, pre-podcast interview was the following quote. Life is both the froth and bubbles. Two things stand like stone. Kindness in another's trouble and courage in your own. And Todd, why don't you share with us why that quote is so powerful for you in your own life?
2: Well, obviously, whenever someone gets a diagnosis of ALS, an initial reaction is shock. And um after that, when you have time to think about it a little more, you start to realize what recognizing that your life is is not going to be necessarily as long as you had hoped, you start to realize what's important and what's not important. And as an English teacher, I've always been um you know drawn to literature and to quotations. And around the same time that I was diagnosed, I came across this quotation. And I think it really helps to um I guess the word is distill life and its essence and what is essential. And when I think about it, kindness and courage are two qualities that really um, inform us and how we should live our lives. I was always very independent before I had ALS. And when I got the diagnosis and now that I need help from other people, I really depend on the kindness of others. And I've really been the recipient in many cases, of surprising kindness from my my family, from my colleagues when I was still teaching, and from the high school students that I taught. And so I think kindness and courage are those things that really are essential to us. And a lot of the other stuff really just doesn't matter anymore.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly, when you, you're under any challenging conditions, you tend to identify, you know, really what is important. And all too often, it is, you know, people use it, maybe overuse, you know, what's important in life, you know, health and all this stuff. And it can become trite. But actually, I, I agree with you 100%, time that once you're actually facing something, you know, such as ALS, and I'm not limiting it to ALS, but there's all kinds of real challenges people face. And, uh, you know, when you realize that you do have to show courage if you want to continue living as best you can, you do end up relying on a lot of people, just about everybody you come in contact with, which requires courage of a different sort on your own. And then also the kindness that you experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's surprising. I mean, you know, i found some people, I kind of lost, you know, contact with when I was diagnosed and others have really stepped up and I've I've developed stronger relationships with it. That I ever had as well as as strangers so I you know my my life itself has really expanded since I was diagnosed it from our conversations with you it seems that you know you had a very rich full life before and that it's even got richer and more full since your diagnosis
2: well the diagnosis like I said was so shocking and and realizing that I was going to have to um Give up the thing that I love most, and I lo- I love teaching. I really did. I was I was a high school teacher and drama director, like you said. And um, there's something wonderful about I I enjoy learning to this day. I enjoy sharing that knowledge. And I I love being with high school students. In a way, it was kind of like the fountain of youth that the rest of the world aged. But I was surrounded by 17 and 18 year olds. I know in some some days it can be a little scary, but at the same time it (laughs) kept you young. And um, I just enjoyed that experience. And realizing that I was going to have to uh, transition out of that and give that up. I mean, it was going to happen eventually when I had to retire. But uh, realizing that that was finite. Was, was was a little disheartening. And so I I wanted to look for something else, you know, some other kind of form where I could continue in some way. And and ALS advocacy really was maybe that that method I could find to continue on.
1: It that's that that's that's pretty cool that you know you were looking for something after big diagnosed, something that you could continue I like you said, your passion that you have which leads me to another thing that you had a sort of an axiom that you had mentioned during our pre-interview. And I actually have been used, I've used it several times since then, because I do think it's very concise and it really, it, it's really uh, puts things into perspective. And that is, you know, you're looking for that intersection in your life between things, events, people, that bring you joy and purpose. You know, you could have joy, it could be frivolous. You could have purpose without joy, but boy, to find that sweet spot where those two intersect. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite a nice feeling when it happens and hopefully it's something that happens every day. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how you came upon, you know, that, that perspective, if you will.
2: Well, again, um, teaching provided me with those, Two things. I really loved doing what I was doing. And I was also clearly a purpose, you know, to help kids get to the next level. I was dealing with mostly seniors when I was teaching. And so I was preparing them for life or college or whatever that held. Um, and so, you know, when I I lost that, I realized that, you know, I I I look for things where I can find joy. Sometimes I I reconnect with with students who I haven't seen in years, and it's it's nice sharing moments with them. Uh, some of my students became teachers. Uh, some became psychiatrists. Some became um, members of the clergy. And so a lot of times when I reconnect with them, they, they bring a different perspective back into my life. And purpose, of course, was the thing. That was the thing I was most worried about losing. Um, you know, a lot of people look for that. When they retire, what what is their purpose going to be now that a big part of your life, the fact that I'm no longer a teacher, uh, and when I could find purpose with ALS, things that I could do still, even though my body doesn't allow me to do a lot of other things, uh, those moments were wonderful when the two intersected. Uh, one of the activities I got involved with, I don't know if you call it an activity, but um, One of the things at the federal level is the government gives money each year for research in all the different diseases that are out there. And ALS is one of those. And through a program called CDMRP, and don't ask me what those initials stand for, I always forget. Uh, But basically, uh, they give money to the Department of Defense to help find new research that is uh, cutting edge, that maybe is high risk, but high reward. And the last couple of years, uh, they've given $40 million to ALS Research. And then a company um, hires people, um, clinicians and doctors and physicians and things like that, to determine to read these um, research proposals and select those that deserve to be funded. Um, As part of the process, they require that at least one person on the panel must be someone who is directly impacted by that disease. And so there are several panels for ALS. And um, I found out about this about three years ago, and I had to apply for this. It was a, like a regular job interview. I actually had to do a phone interview. I had to put together a, a, my resume, which I hadn't updated in you know 25 years because I was happy in the job I was in. I had to uh, talk about what advocacy had already done and get uh, you know, recommendations from that organization. And eventually I was I, I I put it in quotes, I was hired for this job because it 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 pays a small stipend, but that's not really why you do it. But it was wonderful because what I do is then I've done this for three years. In the summer um, about a month before the actual Zoom meeting, I'm sent out a number of different studies, and I get to read these, and I have to read a certain number um, anywhere from 6 to 12, depending on what committee I'm on, and then I have to write my response uh, once I've read them, and I, you know, it takes a little bit of time to understand all the scientific information and write a response, and then eventually we meet for two days through Zoom, and we discuss these proposals, and- and then eventually, um, we get to vote, and I have a full vote in that, which proposals are put forward to the next committee. And I'll tell you, it's it's that moment where joy and purpose come together because I love learning new things, even about a horrible disease like ALS. But seeing the mindset of people trying to solve this problem, uh, I enjoy interacting with the scientists to see the incredible commitment they bring in how much they care about this, and how when I ask a question, how they're very quick to, to help explain to me, a novice, what this thing is about. And uh, it and then also, like I said, it it the purpose, I can do these things, I can still read, I can still, you know, write my response, I can still talk about it. And and the good thing I know about this is even if those things eventually disappear. This committee allows you to participate, even if you have to do it with an automated voice, even if you have someone else typing for you, uh, because they want the impact. And in this way, I can speak for all those people in the country who have ALS, and I, I keep that in mind. I'm not just speaking for myself when I write my critique or when I think about it. I think, how can this impact those people with ALS? no matter what form they have. I, I have sporadic, which is about 90% of the people where it just comes upon you and it's and known how it happened. Uh, but there are people who have it running in their family and their gene pool. Um, and so I can speak for those people as well. I know that was a long answer, but you know, like I said, you get me going and I start thinking about all those things. And that's just one example of where I, I really enjoy that process, not just having the purpose, but also I love learning new things and uh, being able to uh, share my insights.
1: No, and I think that's great. I mean the enthusiasm is palpable in your uh your response there in your voice. Oh. And you know, I, I think that I, you know, my background is as a geologist. So yeah, I have somewhat of a science background. And being able to speak with folks at that level of, of science and understanding and applying it to your circumstance and actually having a say as to what may be uh, you know appropriate proposals to proceed with. You know, I, I myself I, I would find that very, very exciting because I do like to do research and check things out that way and, and and have you know discussions more of a of a science factual nature than uh necessarily more subjective, I guess you'd say.
2: Right. Well, I love I love being able to, like I said, converse with them. What I found really interesting is coming out of education, we have so many different acronyms that we use all the time. And so do scientists. But they're they're different. I mean, they're the same acronyms, but they're for different things. I remember when I first got into this, they talked about me talking to my S.R.O. Well, that's the science research officer who's basically in charge. You ask questions of. Well, for me, I have to laugh at that because for me, SRO means Student Resource Officer, who is basically the cop in the building. So whenever I hear that, I, I laugh. Uh,
1: when you're working with anything connected with the Department of Defense, <laughs> there is no shortage of acronyms.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: and abbreviations. So I, I understand that. And we'll, we'll touch base a little bit later here um, on, on, on some of those specific you know, uh, projects you may have been working on, as well as more of your advocacy, because I think that would be interesting to 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 uh, expand a little bit upon.
0: Yeah, Lenny, I I'm with you. It's it's it is palpable just hearing you talk, Todd, and and I think like just to go circle back to the word courageous and and having courage. It's you know that word I feel like means so much. You know, I feel like we're taught it's this like super brave like strong like you know like knocking down doors like kind of thing and yet i see it in this scenario as like willingly stepping into something that that a brings with it all sorts of feelings and emotion cuz cuz it's happening to you personally you know and um so the courage to step into that space um, and Lenny I feel like that's exactly what you do here we do in this podcast is like leaning into more information about it despite what we you know that what it can bubble up for us and also you know willingly stepping into a pool of things that like you might not know anything about like I could see myself being so intimidated by like all these like words that I don't know and like people with all this background that they you know so um I I I think it it is it, its that quote is so poignant for, for how you live your life, you know, and, um, you don't have to have a certain background or experience to feel qualified to do something like that. That's amazing. Um, and this is like sort of off topic, but on, I'm just curious as we're talking about your teaching and, um, just your whole career, I often feel like there's just so certain teachers that everybody can say like totally impacted their world. Just the other day, my mom actually sent me, um, uh, a picture of a book she had found in, in, you know, those bins that you probably your adult children still have in your basement. (laughs) It's just that stuff that's still there that you can't get rid of. But my, every time I go home, my mom's like, take this with you, take this with you. But anyway, there's a book in there. Um, that and my fifth grade teacher had written in the cover of it. And, and it was this note to me that she had given me this book when I graduated high school. And the note was, you know, something so beautiful and like funny and silly. And I just said to my mom the other day, I'm like, that's exactly how I remember Mrs. Fry, my fifth grade teacher. Like she just always, always was just so kind and compassionate and fun and um caring. And I, I'm just curious if you had that person. Like was, or, or did you just always know you wanted to be a teacher? Or was there somebody that stuck out for you as a mentor?
2: Well, I think the person who stuck out was actually a member of my family. My grandmother was an elementary teacher. Now I never had her in class, but I had her as a grandmother. So I know what she was like and I think that was the inspiration behind it. Um I just always like I said I I I enjoyed school so it was something to continue on. Um and yeah it's 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 a, it's it's an awesome responsibility I think as a teacher uh in a sense of you can influence people so much for students in so many ways and you have to be very careful and that was one thing I w- was always aware of. Uh, through my years of teaching, is you have to you want to be a positive uh, role model for those for for the for students, and you've got to be careful what you say because you can really hurt a kid. I I've also I know people who graduate with me who still hold a grudge from something a teacher said to them you know fifty years ago, and I didn't want to be that teacher. I would rather be the one that they remember saying something inspiring or saying something funny. I mean, you know, to me, um, I loved being in in the classroom, and there were those moments where you you just had the whole class focused, and you have that teachable moment where you can see the light bulbs go on over their heads. You really can, or something sinks in for the first time, and that was was the joy of teaching. Um, You know, I remember when I first got this diagnosis, I managed to teach for six years beyond my diagnosis, which was wonderful. But I know the one principal said, oh, we can get you doing, you know, teaching, you know, if you can do your lessons over the internet and things like that. And I said, well, but that misses the thing I enjoy about teaching. It's the interaction. It's being able to see the responses of the kids to know immediately if they're getting it. And if they're not getting it, then you change. You, you have to change your approach. You don't just go in there with your lesson and if a lesson doesn't work if you see it's not working you have to change it or if something happens that's unexpected maybe that becomes a teachable moment and so that's something that i still very much miss about teaching but um you know i've i've, I've had kids write me notes and years later write to me and i've kept a lot of those things and they've helped a great deal in fact um when I was first diagnosed, uh, they did a GoFundMe page. Um, actually, it started as members of my department. We always gave each other Christmas gifts. They decided to pool their money and give me something special. And then some students found out about it and they said, well, we want to contribute too. And so they set up this GoFundMe page to um, provide money for my family and I to go to visit England because I taught a lot of English literature to go and, and have a vacation in England. And within one week, they raised, um, I forget what the goal was, but they raised $25,000 in one week. And then they sent us to England and Ireland as a family vacation, which was wonderful. Um, But what I really liked about it was it was a GoFundMe page. They get to write comments on there. And so, you know, before the whole thing was done and while I was still at school and using school printers, I printed out um, (laughs) like the 500 or so responses from the students and the parents and friends and things like that. And, uh, you know, there are moments when you have kind of sad times. And so once in a while, you can go back to that and pull those out and they make you feel a little bit better.
0: Wow. That's it. That is very touching. That is, that is so cool.
2: And that's when I joined Facebook because after I came back, I realized, Oh my gosh, I got to share some of these pictures and thank yous and that was the easy way to do it. Yeah. I always avoided that as a teacher because I didn't want to deal with that whole issue. Yeah. You know, uh, but when I came back, you know, I wanted to make sure that people saw how much fun we had as a family and it was it was a wonderful trip.
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. Um one of the things um so you're not a rookie to advocacy efforts. Um I know, you know, now you're you're diving in with, um, you know, bringing social awareness to ALS, but you shared with us in our pre-interview, some of the projects you worked on as a teacher um, you, when you were doing drama and theater. Um, can you share with us a couple of those?
2: Sure. Um, obviously I did the drama program was in charge of that for some 30 years and we did our musicals and our plays and everything, but But theater also can have a a more specific purpose. It can really help with social issues. And at the beginning of the 1990s, one of the issues that was certainly uh, affecting high schools and, and the world was the AIDS epidemic. And so I thought it would be good to maybe find a play that dealt with that. And I'd have to find some actors, some kids who were willing to kind of risk themselves, you know, to go out there and do a play about AIDS and so we found a play called The Inner Circle, and I had four actors in it and, and a student director, and they did a fantastic job. And what we actually did is we performed this play uh, four times during the school day. We did one for each of the grades, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th and 12th grade to keep it small, a little more you know intimate. And we also worked with the Red Cross, and they brought in um, someone who was currently, who currently had AIDS to talk to the kids about that. Uh, we also did a, a production for the community as well. Um, and I found the uh, the students themselves were incredibly affected by this. Seeing their peers up there, it really meant something more to them than just seeing a movie or something like that. Uh, the other case was many years later, and around 2008, I was approached by um, a, a group called TCN, Tri-County Network, and they dealt with... Um, all kinds of uh, societal issues and they had hired a playwright and they wanted to know if I would be able to use my students and if we could workshop and create a play about um, basically about dating violence. You know, one of the issues that is very much uh, mm-hmm. an, an important thing still going on in schools, you know, um, and uh, I managed to, f- I, I just asked my kids if they wanted to do it. And I ended up with about 25 students who would meet after school Fridays during November and December, um, which they're giving up a lot of their time, which, and help kind of workshop and come up with um, characters and scenarios and situations. And the playwright joined us and some members from TCN. And uh, we managed to create a, an original play that then I cast which 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 was kind of strange for me because of course I've done many directing but I've never directed a play where the actual playwright was going to see it and see if I did the right job or I didn't Um, and we cast it and we performed it and again using members of TCN in the community we did four productions for the high school and they had facilitators come in and then they broke into small groups and talk with kids and then also I didn't know this but for a year or two afterwards they had a number of students contact them you know um, confidentially to talk about situations and it really wow. what they said was was very effective in helping a number of students get through very difficult situations. Um, the irony is it really meant a great deal to me because in the midst of doing this, one of my former students, was murdered by her boyfriend yeah. um and and she was a girl who had involved in theater and so i in the midst of this it really struck home And, uh, you know, I I actually dedicated our productions to that. Um, They took this play then and they went out to other high schools and said, you can do this play for free with your own kids. And so a number of schools in the area did this. Some of them didn't want to put as much time in. So they did it more like a reading rather than performing it. It was about a half hour long. And um, it was recognized by um, the National Committee um, for Psychiatry or something like that. And we ended up going to, a big expo down in Valley Forge and performing it down there. And then I recast it and did it about four years later with another group of kids. And it was recognized by the uh, county commissioners in 2009 as an outstanding social awareness program in high school. So it's kind of nice. So, I mean, those things, you know, getting the recognition is beyond the point, but it's kind of nice that that happened afterwards too. Uh, And like I said, the kids who did the show, who actually, you know, wrote it and and then performed in it, were were incredible, and they learned a great deal about themselves and their own situation, and became role models for other students in the school. And seeing your peers up there really brings it home much more powerfully than bringing in another group or things like that. So, theater can have that impact as well. So, you know, I would do those when when opportunities arose. Wow!
0: And what a. Gosh, talking about a Venn diagram, that's what I was thinking of when you were describing that, like all the different ways those projects connected you all as a community, you know, in grief, you know, from your student and, you know, the hope of, of helping people who maybe are too scared to talk about what's going on with them and the bravery and courage of you, you know, and your, and your students. Um, taking on two subjects that, you know, a lot of people probably would have said no, probably did say no to, you know?
2: Well, Um, it's hard because they're up there and they're putting themselves out. You know, when we, was the AIDS play, one of the students had to play someone with AIDS. mm -hmm. So immediately what they see is they see an actor up there, but they also see their friend Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: you have to be willing to to do that. And then even with the, the other play, obviously, in the play, we had there were about uh, six or seven characters. No, actually eight characters. Eight characters in the play, and some of those characters were, of course, abusers, not just the abused. And so, therefore, the student taking on the role of the abuser is also s- stepping out there and uh, you know allowing you know it's it's hard because for their peers, they're playing a role, but they see someone they know. Walking around the school, and so it's a lot different than just you know doing Oklahoma or, or Greece or something like that's that.
0: That's what I was thinking. Well, that's what I was thinking. How how brave and courageous to take those projects on instead of you know one of the the usuals, you know. And right. uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think it's as a teacher, what a beautiful example, you know. Again, simultaneously, you were while doing it also instilling in them that you know passion for social awareness and importance of you know importance of it and talking about it and feeling it that that's really, really cool
2: and very and very important that it's authentic. They mm. had to be authentic i mean this was this was you know it had to be it had to be real,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, you actually gave me a good idea. We can talk later. I just had an idea about something um, that maybe we could brainstorm about, but sorry, Lenny, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, no. That's, that's, that is, I liked everything that was said. The idea that I I think the students, I'm trying to think back 50 years for myself (laughs) in high school. I would rather have seen something i think along those lines as you said authentic and contemporary and purposeful in, in the in the context of the time as opposed to doing oklahoma or doing singing in the rain or you know whatever the <laughs> case may be you know because it's you know it it you know those are written by adults primarily for adults whereas it doesn't reflect at all what the kids are facing it so I really commend you um, for tackling that and doing it very successfully. And along those same lines, you know, having this vibrant uh, relationship and profession, you know, with your kids, with teaching and so forth, that AIDS or uh, ALS comes along. And it's, it, it affects your career. So can you share with us a little bit about that time when you were you were diagnosed, and, you know, how did you, as well as others, help you uh, tread those waters, navigate those waters, so that you could still find that intersection of, of joy and purpose?
2: Well, um, yeah, I was diagnosed back in March of 2013. Um, i had had symptoms, but, you know, we didn't know what they were. That's always the hard thing with ALS, as you know, Lenny, it's, it's usually difficult to diagnose. You have to eliminate so many other options. And I had had some very painful leg cramps for two years, but that really we couldn't figure out what that was. But it was in January of actually January ten ten years ago that I had a left foot drop. I just suddenly my foot started flapping. I couldn't I couldn't move it. And that's when um, I went to a neurologist who then sent me down to uh, Philadelphia to uh, Jefferson to get the EMG and find out that I had uh, ALS. Yeah. And and that was, it was. I mean, it, I knew it was going to impact my career and I knew it was going to affect things. And so first thing was just telling people was difficult because I didn't know, you know, how to break this news. So I, I, I talked with my principal first, actually. Um, the next day I went and talked with the principal. In fact, it was funny that day. I was not going to be in school that day because uh, I was an uh, MC at a um, Quiz Bowl. We had a, a Quiz Bowl uh, league, and we would do a, a a one one day a year, we would do this televised version where we would tape all these shows. And I had to go do that, but I, I had about an hour I was in the building before I had to leave. There was a substitute for me, and I had to tell my uh, principal. So that was the first one. Uh, and then eventually I told my my department that later that day when I got back, and then uh, eventually breaking it to the students. But what I found was I knew I needed to adapt. I was always a very um, active teacher. I moved around the room. You know, I always figured you couldn't hit a moving target, you know, type of thing. But you also, you want to be right. energetic yeah. and things. But I had to change that. I I couldn't do that anymore. I I became, you know, much clumsier. I I would trip. And if I fell, you know, it was embarrassing, but also... It was it was an issue. you know I could get hurt and and the school didn't want that to see that happen. Although at the end, I, I when I finally had to give up teaching, I was falling more often and it's amazing how many times my students would come and and, and actually lift me up. I still remember one um, very tall, skinny um, young man. Who when I fell over and I could use to push myself up and I was having difficulty, he says, I can lift you, Mr. Kelly. I said, No, you can't, John, you can't do that. And he goes, Yes, I can. And when he like lifted me right up to my feet, and I went, John, that was incredible. I thanked him so much. And you know, so I reckoned him for like student of the week. But more than that, I I went out and got him a a $20 Wawa gift certificate because I figured he'd appreciate that more. But what I found is so many the 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 teachers went out of their way to help me. I mean, I, 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 at a point, I couldn't walk that much anymore. So I had a small power chair that could come apart. They would meet me on Monday and uh, at my car. A teacher would meet me and put together my power chair and help me get into the building. And then we'd charge it in there every night. And someone would always meet and help me get across. If it were a snowy morning, I, I'm not kidding. Five teachers would be out at the parking lot ready to help me in because they knew it was, it was icy, and, and they were afraid I'd trip. Uh, students went out of their way to help me whenever they could. I mean, I didn't, um, you know, I, I couldn't pass out papers anymore, so they'd jump right up and pass things out. I'd have to pass tests back face down and just have them do that. Sometimes at the beginning of class, they'd have to, uh, I'd ask them to do a five-minute reading assignment so I could check their homework, which they passed front. But so many students showed me how, great they were as individuals and as people, um, where maybe they weren't necessarily, I had some wonderfully academically strong students, some some weren't. But what I learned was how wonderful all of them were when push came to shove and I needed help. And they would go out of their way to help me. And, and it was really, you know, people said, oh, well, you're setting an example. I said, well, no, they're setting an example to me that the only reason I can do this is because they are willing to help. And you know, um, things changed. I didn't have to do bus duty anymore. I couldn't really do fire drills the normal way because the, the closest exit was stairs, so I'd have to trust my kids to go out with with maybe another teacher. Um, and there were so many times when things were adapted so that I could still teach and continue doing what I was doing. Uh, technology certainly helped with that. Uh, but you still have to be there and you have to be part of it. And there were days when, yeah, there were days when it was tough. you know, there were days when I was in pain and, and I was feeling miserable. but I I couldn't show that to the kids because you have to, you know, if you're not into what you're teaching, there's no way that they're going to also be into it. So it was uh, but but they gave so much back that it kind of uh, equaled out in the end. I was able to like I said, continue teaching for six years because of my slow progression and through adaptations and through changing in many ways the way I taught, but I could still be effective. And uh, that was that was really the main thing. As long as I felt I could be effective, I kept teaching. And I, I did manage to make it to what was um considered, you know, regular retirement.
1: Well that's good. That that's a that's a heartworthy story. Ed. Yeah, I think we mentioned it earlier that when you do get become diagnosed with something like ALS, MS, Parkinson's, whatever that you know, any anything, anything happens, that it is wonderful where you see people just kind of uh, collect around you, gather around you, and and offer to help. And it sounds like um, in addition to the life lessons and. The exposure you gave to your students for theater, world literature—it also was this life lesson. It kindness to others, and, and just reaching out and helping them. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think that was—that's just as important, if if not more important than anything that you, you know, that they ex- experienced in reading about English literature or, or whatever other topic you, you were involved with.
2: Oh, of course, you know, like I said, you know, I don't I don't expect they're going to remember what I taught them about Beowulf you know twenty years from now, but I'm hoping some of the other things I taught, I mean, you know, I hope like the writing skills and things like that, but I'm hope you know, I think that teaching is much more than just your subject. There are many life lessons that are be to be learned in the classroom, and so hopefully those will stick with them when they've forgotten, you know what happened in Macbeth Act Five?
1: Right. And I think that, you know, for me, a, a real threshold for growing up and coming into adulthood is when a person starts thinking outward instead of inward. And it sounds like, you know, your kids were, were fairly mature and you gave them that opportunity to really start thinking outward beyond themselves. And I think that's, you know, a real part of growth for people and so that's that that was awesome that everybody came together and rallied around you and, and, and just moving on here uh can you tell us about uh the ALS organizations or some of them that you have been associated with and uh you know your role and I think also as importantly here for our listeners there may be people scratching their heads and wondering how could they get involved? Where could they go? How could they offer their time to something? So I think that'd be just as important if you could offer any advice to how others can get involved in the same way that you have.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, close to home and, and very close to my heart is, of course, uh, my my doctor and the organization, which is in Philadelphia called ALS Hope Foundation. And that foundation has really been a big supporter for me. And so I've tried to lend that support back. Um, when I go to clinic and, you know, when I go down, it's, I go once every three months down to Philadelphia. Um, currently, my my doctor, Dr. Hyman Patterson, who's, who's a world expert on ALS, she's um, associated with TEMPLE. And when I go down there, um, I'll spend an afternoon there and I'll get to see at clinic not just my doctor, but a speech therapist, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a respiration therapist, a dietitian, um, social worker, someone who helps with psychiatry. You know, I mean, you see all these people. And of course, Medicare or whatever health insurance you have won't pay for. All these people to be there to help you they'll pay for maybe two of these people but down there because of the ls hope organization i just have to pay my copay and i get to see all these specialists who help me with whatever problems or whatever i'm going through at the time i mean even to the point that we have valet parking because of course we can't walk that far i can't walk that far um or even roll that far that is <laughs> it would be now um, they pay for the valley parking. I mean, you know, everything is 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 taken care of. And that's such a relief that I don't have to make all these trips. So my wife and I only have to make the trip once every three months. And we get all these specialists who help you out and then follow up on your care. Uh, so the ALS Hope organization is wonderful. So I've done what I could. I mean, the first year, um, one thing I did, they do a season of giving. So I wrote A little paragraph about my experience and having ALS to help get people to give money. Uh, They also do this big gala where they um, uh, try to raise money, and uh, again, for the organization. And the second year of the gala, I was the uh, featured speaker. And that was kind of funny because I, I was asked to speak there. And, uh, I, you know, so I planned a speech and everything, but I thought I would be one of the speakers. I didn't realize I was the speaker, uh, but it's a good thing because hey, you know, I've done public speaking. I have taught that for years, so I was pretty much ready for it. Uh, and more recently, I've been involved with, uh, they, they put together a PALS, that's, you know, uh, patients with ALS, PALS advisory council for their board to kind of give them some input about you know, what are they doing? What could they do better? You know, things like that. And so there were three of us asked to be on that board. And so, yes, I I, I quickly volunteered to do that. Um, so that's one of the organizations. There are a number of other ones I'm involved with. I'm involved with I IAM, um, ALS. Um, I'm, I'm involved with uh, one called Everything ALS, where I do a speech study. And uh, just recently, actually, about two weeks ago, um, I was on uh, WFMZ Channel 69 News. They did a story on the speech study, and they wanted a local face, so so I I did that on television. Uh, there's also uh, one called Your ALS Guide, and through ALS Hope, they asked me to do an interview for that. And uh, they came out to our house and did this big photo shoot where they were looking at things that we've done, little things that we've done to adapt the house so that I can continue to function at home uh, with ALS and uh, they're going to be putting that on their website hopefully soon. I think they were talking about the end of the year, but I, I think they missed that deadline. Um, there's so many things. Uh, the, the LS of Greater Philadelphia is a organization, Association is wonderful, and um, they've helped get me a, a ramp for the front of my house that so I can get in and out because, of course, as you know, Lenny, uh, insurance will pay for your wheelchair. But other than that, you know, as far as how to get out of the house. That's not their responsibility. You have to come up with how to get a ramp or a mobility van or anything like that. And so these organizations are very good. As far as getting involved, I think one of the key things is to learn more about the disease is Niels offers training uh, called CRLI, again, an acronym, but uh, it's basically to become a research ambassador. In a two-day course, which is offered throughout the country at different times, uh, you learn how to first of all read research and evaluate it, whether it's quality research or really bad research, um, because there's that that stuff's out there too, you know. And there are a lot of people out there, if you have ALS, who are willing to take your money, uh, who aren't really offering you a cure or anything like that. They're just looking to to make a buck. And so it's important that you, know, you connect with organizations that are legitimate and, and are doing the right thing. And so by becoming a research ambassador, I, I learned how to critically read these these things, these, these promises, these guarantees. Also, I learned about the latest innovations in ALS. And of course, the hardest thing with ALS, as you know, is that there's this desperate search for a biomarker that with most diseases, there's something where you physically can see, you know, with cancer, you have a tumor. And if you treat it with a certain medicine or therapy, you could see that tumor shrink. We haven't found that biomarker for ALS yet. And until we do, it's very hard to solve and cure this disease. And so the big search right now, and a lot of the research is being done, is trying to locate the biomarker, because once they locate the biomarker, then we have a way to test what works. I mean, we have medicines now that help us, but they actually don't know how they help us. You know, the Rilazol, the um, Radicava, the new one that's called Relivrio, they've shown to improve symptoms, but if you ask the scientists, they don't really know how it works. It just helps. With a biomarker, we can figure out what really works. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would encourage people to, to take that that ambassador training through Niels. Again, another acronym. Sorry, I got too many acronyms for you today. Uh, but through Niels, if you can, if you have the time, my wife and I both took it once I retired from teaching. And uh, it really opened up my eyes, and it it gives you many, it shows many different opportunities to help. And you can help in so many different ways. I mean, if you if you're a runner and you used to organize 5K, you can still organize that with ALS. There's so many ways you can do fundraising. You can do all kinds of work. Uh, I just found the things that I thought that my background lent me to, and that's reading and writing and speaking and while i can you know ALS has affected my my limbs my voice is relatively unaffected so i'll continue to speak as long as i can and then once i can't speak i i do have my voice recorded so um i'll be using voice banking and it sounds like me sort of like me it sounds like a robot version of me but but it 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 is way to continue to speak when maybe i can't do that anymore
1: yeah, that, that's important is for people to look be proactive, look to the future. Uh, I'm not probably as good at it as I should have been or should be, but it is that that is important voice banking and so forth. And just for our listeners, just to be clear, when uh, Todd uh, mentions deals, that is the Northeast ALS Association or foundation, but the acronym is ED, as in Nancy, E-A-L-S as it say. So if you were to google deals, uh it'll come right up for
2: you. Fantastic organization and does a lot of collaboration uh, between doctors and and just there there are wonderful organizations out there and most of them are working in concert together to try to figure out how to solve this this horrible disease. it. So
0: thank you for sharing all that and I I'm just so grateful we have this time together. Um, something I'm thinking about as you shared how you are being so proactive and kind of doing everything you can um, while you still can. And I'm curious about what was it like you you had shared with us an experience when you were at Anil's training or event and you were working alongside other pals who had ALS but were further progressed than you. Um, And that's something we hear often in the community about how um, a lot of folks don't want to see or be around other folks with ALS further along. Because it can be scary, it can be intimidating, um, all of the feelings, which all make sense. I'm just curious kind of what that experience was for you.
2: Well, I really have enjoyed opportunities to meet other pals, but it is a very sobering experience because in many cases you see people who are, like you said, further along in the process. I, I still remember way back in 2013, the first time I went to the clinic. I really didn't see any other patients. But the second time we went, we had to wait to get in. And at that point I was I was still walking even without a cane. I was just had a kind of a, a limp, something strange in my gait. And we watched a woman wheel by us in an electric chair and she was, you know, basically her head was strapped back to the chair and she had an oxygen, she was, you know, and all this stuff. And that was that was sobering because my, I looked at my wife and I said, "Well, you know, That'll be me in the future. Um, we didn't know at that point that I was a slow progressor, which was which was one. And, and and that's the other thing you have to realize with this advocacy. I really didn't get into it as much until I finished my teaching career because I really wanted to enjoy that first. Mm-hmm. But um, at the 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 Neels ambassador training, I met um, a man who was slightly younger than I was. Uh, he was 52 and he had been diagnosed with ALS and I think it was February of that same year. And yet he had progressed in that time. I mean, I had been, you know, seven years with ALS in those seven months. He had progressed past where I was. I mean, he was sitting there and he was using, you know, the BiPAP because he needed that during the day. I, I use mine at night, but he needed it during the day. And, uh, my wife and I sat with, with him and his wife and we had wonderful conversations and talked about things and he had worked for SEPTA and he had had to resign from his job because he couldn't do it anymore. And um, he was a volunteer firefighter too. And, and that he had to give up as well. And, and they were doing that. The volunteer firefighters were doing some huge uh, you know fundraiser for him. <clears throat> and uh, they had that I understand at the end of October. And he passed away in the middle of November. Mm-hmm. So he didn't last a year with ALS. Um, and it, it's such a shame. I mean, I, I I have to admit, I've been very blessed in the sense I've had time to adapt, but his life in a period of 10 months from diagnosis to death was was moving at such a fast pace. Mm-hmm. And yet he also took the training, though. I mean, he wanted to be there.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: know uh, his wife, after he passed away, um, <clears throat> did respond uh, during a, one of the AL's Hope newsletters and and talked about her experience. And it was uh, very um, important for other caregivers to read that. And I know my wife read it and was in, impacted by it.
0: Thank you for it's, sharing
1: that. Yeah, that's a, that's a very sobering note. But at the same time, I think that there's been a lot of uplifting experiences that you've shared with us. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just hope the scales tip a little bit more to the, the those uplifting experiences that you have, how your life expands after the diagnosis, which I know mine has and it sounds like yours has. Uh, but then there is the so well definitely.
2: Definitely, and I and and I've come in contact, like I said, doing these different advocacy things. You've come into contact kind of with other people who are incredible, who incredible pals and cals. Those are caregivers of ALS, um, who who just are yeah, they're like rock stars. They really are great, and um, and it's it's yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to make it sound. Totally sad. It's just that was one case where I clearly saw this happen quickly. But what some other people have done is 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 incredible. And you're right. Um, I've met a number of people I would not have met if this disease had not come along. Um, and I've had an opportunity to be the recipient of so much generosity and kindness that I would not have recognized, or not have seen had this not happened. So, you know. There, there are those those times when you're incredibly thankful for the people you've met along your journey.
1: That's uh, that's 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 my experience for sure. And I, I'm glad to hear that your experience and others that have had ALS I think have had the similar experience. So. Well,
2: what's interesting too, my wife wasn't a nurse when I was diagnosed. Uh, she became a nurse after my diagnosis, uh, and I think she's finally found a job that she really loves. I mean, she'd done substitute teaching. Uh, she was, her original degree was in fashion merchandising, which didn't, didn't pan out too much. Um, but basically she became a nurse. And I think, I think she really, I know she, she really values and loves her, her job that she has now. And that would not have happened. Had not this, had I not gotten ALS.
1: Well, I, I tell you firsthand from, spending a day or two days with her an hour at a time or a little bit more for the last few months that yes she loves what she does and she loves coming out and not just doing things uh you know in a prescriptive way but coming out and you know we talk we engage we have a dog she loves our dog (laughs) you know norm loves her and you know, you know, it, she
2: you know she's very allergic to dogs, but she takes allergy medicine because of that. Oh, I did not know that. We I do not that. have a dog because <laughs> she we, we had cats and she took medicine because the kids wanted the cats, but she's she's allergic to dogs, but oh, she, she takes medication kid, so she can yeah. do that.
1: Yeah, our dog likes to get involved with the
2: <laughs> I'm sure if anybody
1: else is getting attention besides door, he likes to insert himself quickly and that includes her. <laughs> but that's, that's funny but anyways I, we're coming up on an hour here so i think we should go ahead and wrap things up and todd i would just like to thank you and please thank Lori for me for the caring and sincerity that she shows me every time she does come by to visit and uh i hope one day here to meet you face to face and sit down and chat some more but thank you so much for your time today
2: no problem, Lenny. It was it was my pleasure. It was nice getting to talk with you and with Jesse.
0: Thank you, Todd. This was so awesome, and we, you are clearly such an incredible person who has, um, you know, inspired so many people. You've inspired us today, and you will continue to do so just by living your life. Um, and uh, we are so so grateful for this time. Thank you for. Thank you for sharing yourself and your stories and um, thank Lori for us too, <laughs> for being the, the great connector. Um, so thank you. This was awesome.
2: I definitely will thank my wife. Yes. <laughs> All right. Take thank care.
0: You guys. This is great. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Wow, well, Lenny, episode
0: 10 with Todd. What a great conversation.
1: Yeah, it was good. I thought there was a lot of useful information there for people that would like to be involved more in the ALS community, either as an advocate or somebody like Todd who has ALS, where you can really provide a personal perspective. And I think it also shows that for something like these. The research, which is obviously a lot of medical terminology, a lot of scientific terminology, probably talks about a lot of statistics, that you don't need to have that type of analytical background, but that is just a willingness to take the time out and ask questions if you don't understand a term or the significance of something, and then the courage to share your opinion. So I, I, I really appreciated that. That aspect of our conversation with Todd.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I was so moved by his sharing his stories about you know his career and his passions and and the evolution of of what how they had to change a little bit, but how he kept infusing himself into you know his passions and career despite the ALS, and then developing that. You know, post retirement, it just—he's a really incredible person, and um, I'm so grateful that you connected us to him. Um, that was a really, really great conversation, and I'm grateful now to have him in our roots, him and Lori in our Roots Radio family now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I guess now that we finished ten, we'll be moving on to eleven here. Um, Moving on up hopefully fairly soon.
0: Yeah. And for anybody listening who might want to be involved, if um, you'd like to share your story with us, which we would love to to chat, um, you can email us at rootsradioals at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anybody wants to to join us, we we would like to help them get their thoughts and ideas and experiences out there to share with the, the broader community. And um, before we sign off, I do want to do a little self, well, not self promotion, but promote an event which um, me and some friends and my wife, Marta, are planning, which is a charity golf event. It'll be June 23rd to benefit the ALS community. And it will be at the Butter Valley. Gulfport port in um Valley, pa so we will be i will be sharing more information and um this will be our first event and we're we're pretty excited for it it gives us something to gives me something to to work on here as we get through the the thick of the winter and start getting into the spring but Hopefully that'll give
0: me that'll gives six great. months to figure out how to, how to golf.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. it It's, believe me, it'll be,
0: it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We're, yeah. We, and yeah. more to come about it. We'll be sharing more about it on the show. That's
1: right. So Jesse, you have a great day and everybody else is listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.
0: You too. Bye Lenny.
1: Bye bye.